Thanks, worship team. Appreciate you guys uh, being here today, and our tech team, too. Thanks so much to Jeff and Shelby Smar, Valerie Williams, and, and Miles Hutchison. Uh, Travis Brooker has uh, done slides, too. Just appreciate everybody being here, uh, making this happen. I miss singing with you all. I miss hearing your voices filling our sanctuary with praise of the Lord, and um, grateful that we're able still to gather virtually, at least, in worship. And if you are concerned about the proximity of the bass player and the blonde lady singing, they're married, they live together, so don't panic. Uh, they are going to be okay, Lord willing. But uh, we are trying to take every precaution we can with social distancing and make sure that we are wise as serpents and innocent as doves during these days. I'm excited to kick off a new series today. We're going to be uh, diving into the, the book of Acts that's going to take us all the way through November, Lord willing, and hopefully by then we'll be meeting in person and able to uh, hug one another once again and gather. Uh, in the meantime, I'm excited to jump into this really important book for the next 33 weeks. We're not going to cover every single verse like we did in the Gospel of John last year, but we're going to hit the highlights, so to speak. Acts is uh, unlike any other book in all of Scripture. It's very unique. It's an absolutely necessary book because it, it bridges the, the transition between the Gospels and the letters to the churches in the New Testament. In fact, the, the book of Acts really explains how and why a lot of those letters were written in the first place. It tells us the amazing true story of this thing called the church that the Lord raises up in order to spread his word throughout the world. It tells this true story of how the birth of the church uh, occurred and then through the Holy Spirit was sent out into all of creation in the days that followed Jesus's death and resurrection. It tells how the church began to make disciples of all nations and, and how the gospel went in power throughout all the world just as Jesus said it would. But it wasn't easy. The book of Acts is filled with harrowing tales, true tales of shipwrecks and imprisonments and beatings and all kinds of racial and, and socioeconomic injustice that is occurring, riots in these urban areas. And yet through all of the persecution and all of the overwhelming odds, the gospel continues to go forth. In fact, all of the, the persecution and all of the suffering that God's people experience in the book of Acts only furthers the spread. It only speeds up and expedites the process of all nations hearing the word of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I could use a word of encouragement these days, these strange, hard days. We find ourselves, like I said in the prayer, in a, a Lenten season that we don't know when it's gonna end. We continue to fast in these days. We've given up much in these times. There's still a lot of unanswered questions. What's gonna happen? I don't know, but I do know this. The church will continue to go forward. How do I know that? I know that because the gospel will continue to work its way around the world unhindered by pandemics, unhindered by economic uh, disasters, unhindered by natural disasters, unhindered by war, rumors of war, and so on. How do I know that? Again, it's because the book of Acts 
tells us. It reminds us of the truth that the church is an unstoppable force. Not because we're so uh, talented and intelligent and we have great leaders. Not because we have such great music or, or such cool uh, musicians. Not because we have fancy buildings, but because we are the body of Christ on earth. We're filled with God, the Holy Spirit. How else do you explain this ragtag group of dis disciples and apostles in the book of Acts, this, these fishermen, these uneducated fishermen from Galilee, and a tent maker, uh, a Pharisee, who become the amazing frontline leaders of this global movement that today counts over two billion people as part of it. The world would never be the same after the phenomenal events that occur in the book of Acts. What happened in, in the Gospels, the, the teaching of Christ, the life of Christ, and the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ that we celebrated last week, all of those things would become the foundation for this new global phenomenon that today, again, is, is counting as over 2 billion adherents to it. And Jesus told us this would happen. Remember the, the great confession back in Matthew chapter 16, where Simon Peter, uh, a fisherman, again, uh, an uneducated person, confesses Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. And look at Jesus' response here in Matthew 16, verse 17. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that means son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. He changed his name to Cephas, the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Wow. Not even hell itself can stop the church, the body of Jesus Christ on earth until he comes again. God remains sovereign. God remains on his throne, working out his good purposes for all of creation through the body of Christ. That's good news. That's encouraging news. When I begin to doubt and become discouraged, this is good news that I need to hear, and I think we all need to hear during these times. So we're going to jump into this story of the birth of the church from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And we don't have a Lego interpretation of the text this time. Davey and Juliana, you're going to have to get on it for next week. But uh, how about I just read it today from the Bible? I invite you, wherever you are, on your couch, at home, get off your recliner if you're able to, to stand in honor of the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 1. Hear now the word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. I think I forgot to seat, uh, Lauren reminded me, I forgot to seat people on Monday Thursday, so I've got to remember to seat you when you're not even present. That's difficult can't even see it. You know, I love getting letters. There's something about a handwritten letter, right, that's just special. It's kind of a lost art these days. My wife is a great letter writer. She has trained my children to, I'm not a great letter writer. I'm working on it. Um, my kids have been writing letters during this quarantine time to their cousins and their friends and neighbors, some church members too. And it appears here in Acts chapter one that what we're reading is a letter dedicated, written to Theophilus, old Theo. We don't know if Theo was an actual person uh, or maybe just a, a generic stand-in kind of name for a, a God follower. The, the name Theophilus means loved by God. But Acts is not really a letter. It's a really lengthy history. It's a history dedicated to old Theo, Theophilus. It's an account of Jesus' ascension, as we just read, and all the events that followed immediately thereafter. And it's written, we know, by this amazing guy, really, named Luke. Luke was uh, a Greek, a Hellenist from Syria, north of Jerusalem. And somehow Luke had been converted to Christianity and gotten involved with the apostles and their ministry that Christ had given to them. We also can deduce from history and other details that Luke was a physician of, of some sort, and his writing is, is really excellent. He's obviously an educated Greek. And did you know that Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer and author? You may say, wait a minute, what about Paul? Yes, Paul wrote more letters, more books of the New Testament, but word for word, if you take Luke and Acts together as they were meant to be taken, there's actually more words in Luke-Acts than there are in all of Paul's writings in the New Testament. Very influential person that we should listen to. This two-part volume, the, the Gospel of Luke, and then its companion, the Acts of the Apostles, what happened after the Gospel. It's one collected work. I would love to someday take a year and preach through Luke for a year and then take the next year and preach through Acts. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. Maybe in 10 years or so I'll do it, but 
Luke reminds old Theo here in the first verse about the gospel that he wrote earlier. He's, he's reminding old Theo how the gospel dealt with all that Jesus began. Look at verse one, all that Jesus began to do and teach. You see that? It seems like he's implying that that was only the beginning. He's, he's saying, Theophilus, wait, wait till you see what's coming next. Jesus is gonna continue to do some amazing things, even though he has ascended, he's gonna do something incredible through the church. Then he goes on to tell Theo about the 40 days after Jesus's resurrection. Those were wild times, those 40 days. Jesus keeps showing up, the risen Christ, with his nail-scarred hands, and he keeps appearing to people and, and teaching them about how the inbreaking of the kingdom of God is coming like never before. Like God is doing something miraculous and powerful in the world in a way that he's never done before. I love the, the story in Luke 24 when Jesus appears, the risen Christ appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus in his resurrected body. Luke 24, 27 says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to these disciples in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's explaining how he's fulfilling the Hebrew scriptures. And look what the disciples, how they respond in verse 32. They say to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? These are the kind of things that are happening in these 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. And then Jesus gives the disciples some amazing instructions, starting in verse four. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. I have a hard time waiting, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty impatient. Stay and wait, it sounds like our lives now, doesn't it? He orders them to shelter in place and wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What an exciting conversation Jesus is having with his disciples here. You know, he's basically telling them, look, I know things are, are crazy right now, everything's up in the air, but you guys just wait here, be patient, something amazing is gonna happen. You remember how John the Baptist said, I, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Remember that? Well, that's about to be fulfilled. It's about to happen. These disciples are gonna be baptized in the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus was when the Spirit descended on him like a dove. They couldn't wait. Their Lord was dead, all their hope was lost, and then he was raised from the dead, and he's telling them about these amazing things that are gonna happen to them and that will change the world. All the ancient Hebrew prophecies that they learned as children are about to come true. The messianic age is about to begin. What an exciting time. God's own spirit, just like Joel prophesied, prophesied 100 years ago, God's own spirit is about to be poured out on all flesh. So in this season of expectancy, Jesus calls the apostles together once again on the top of Mount Olivet, just outside of Jerusalem. And then look at verse six. 
when they had come together, it says they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And then look what Jesus says. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. The disciples were so excited about the prospect of this new inbreaking of the kingdom that they missed the big picture. They were thinking too small. They were thinking of a, a political kingdom, a, a, a physical kingdom, a nation of, of Israel, kind of like David had, of, of peace and prosperity, where uh, they could set up an authority and a military power that could kick the Romans out once and for all and give them their nice little comfortable own nation in the region once again. Jesus doesn't directly rebuke them. He doesn't say, you guys still don't get it. No, and he, instead, he simply gives them this amazing truth in verse 8. One of the key verses in all of the scriptures, but verse 8 is really the key for the book of Acts. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That's a key word, too. In Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, that's heresy to a good Israelite, and to the end of the earth. What amazing prophecy that Jesus speaks over them. He tells them that the power that they're going to receive is, is so much greater than any earthly, political, or military power. The kingdom of which they would now become a part of would be far larger, far more influential than any nation in the history of the world. The power they would soon receive was not for, for toppling armies or political powers, but for spreading the best news ever, that God himself has entered into our physical reality and he's given us words of life, and then he's died an atoning death on the cross in our place, paying the debt that we owed, and then was resurrected by the power of God himself and is now reigning on high. The good news of the gospel is about to explode upon the world. And it's so important to note that these words in verse 8 are the last words that Jesus would ever speak upon this earth. It's been 2,000 years since the Lord Christ spoke physical words into this planet. And here's the last words he says. We would do well to pay careful attention to them. Right after he speaks these words, verse 9 tells us that he ascends back into the heavenly realm. So verse 8 really is the, the key verse to interpret the, the book of Acts and really the whole rest of the New Testament. You know, I would argue that the the key verse of the Gospels is, is found in John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, the Logos, the eternal Word of God, the preexistent Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled, he moved into our neighborhood. And we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the, the story of the Gospels, that God himself entered into our world, took on flesh, condescended to us, gave up his glory in order to reveal God to us. So that's the Gospel word. Well, how does verse 8 fit into that? Well, verse 8 just builds on the Gospel because now that God has come to us and revealed God's grace and truth, so what? 
now we are to be witnesses to the gospel. In our city, Jerusalem, in the surrounding areas, Judea, Samaria, very cross-cultural kind of context, and even to the ends of the earth. The word witness is a theme all throughout Acts. Uh, A form of the word witness appears more in the book of Acts than any other book in all of Scripture. Bearing witness to the gospel, the good news, is the work of those of us who've been baptized into Christ and into the Holy Spirit. Hundreds of years before this, the, the prophet Isaiah was speaking the word of the Lord over the people of God, and he called on Israel to be God's witnesses in the world. Look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. That was God's plan always since Abraham to make a people for himself that would be his witnesses in the world, that would serve him. But the problem is Israel didn't fulfill that, did they? They split apart. They forsook their God and they ended up back in exile once again. So the perfect servant of the Lord, the perfect servant, the suffering servant, was sent to our world to bear witness of God's grace and truth in an amazing, powerful way by dying on a cross and rising again. The uh, amazing thing here is now that the same ministry of bearing witness to God's perfect grace and truth that Jesus had, he now gives to his disciples. The same ministry of witnessing to God's goodness and greatness and perfection. You will be my witnesses, he says in verse eight. You'll do the things that I did in engendering faith, stirring up faith in all of those who hear the good news of what God is doing. And as they come to believe in the story, the true story that God so loved the world that he didn't abandon it to sin and death, but instead sent me as a rescuer. The son died for the sins of the world and he was raised from the dead so that all who would put their trust in him might not perish but have everlasting life both now and forever and play their part in God's story. So after Jesus speaks these words, he disappears from their sight, which he told them back in the Gospel of John was for their benefit because they would receive the Holy Spirit in them. And I love this scene in, in verse 10 and 11. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It just reminds me of myself. Even Peter doesn't have something to say in this moment. They're all just standing there with their mouths open like, oh no, now now what? It's like that feeling when you bring a baby home from the hospital and you're like, oh, we're supposed to do this now. All the nurses are gone, all the doctors are gone. It's up to us to keep this thing alive now. That's the feeling that these disciples have and I get it. But again, two messengers are sent from God and they show up and they say, fellas, snap out of it. There's, There's work to do. Amazing, exciting work that you guys can't even fathom right now. 
So they head back to the city to prayerfully wait. You see, they were praying together with the women and all the, the followers of Christ in expectation for the Holy Spirit to come. And here's the thing. I, I know that Christianity may not be that compelling for some of you, even for some of you who are, are Christians may not find your faith to be something that's very exciting. And if you're not a believer and you're watching this, then you may not find the story of Christianity to be very convincing or compelling. You know, I've met a lot of people who've been Christians for most of their lives, but they're not fired up about the gospel. I read about a, a pastor in Chicago who said he had a guy in his church who said, I've been a deacon in my church for years. I've built a church building. I've raised money. I've served on committees. But one thing my church never gave me was a relationship with Christ that would make my life exciting. Here in this text, we have the remedy for just that kind of thing. Jesus offers us, his followers today, the opportunity to play an amazing role in the work that God is doing to rescue the world. He gives us a chance to, to get off the bench and into the game. You know, it's no fun to, to, to ride the pine, to sit on the bench. I, I got to coach my son's uh, fourth grade basketball team again this year, and I can't say no to people. It's a, it's a rec league. We're not out there trying to win scholarships for our kids or anything, and we don't take it too seriously. And when parents asked if their kid could play on our team, this, this league that we're in, you form your own teams, I didn't turn anybody away. And we ended up the last two seasons with 11 guys on the team. And if you've ever coached a basketball team with 11 9 and 10 year olds, it's kind of a disaster. No kid gets adequate playing time. And every time there was a stoppage in play, all the kids would yell at me, can, we, can I play, can I play? And it was hard to, because you wanted them all to play, but you also wanted to give them equal playing time. It's no fun to sit on the bench. Today, what we're talking about is getting into the game, getting into the most important and most exciting game you could ever be a part of. Ever since Genesis chapter 12, it's been God's plan to create a special people, a family for himself in order to be the conduit of his blessing to the world to play their part in the rescue mission that he has enacted ever since the fall of creation. Look at Genesis 12. He started with one guy named Abram. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, all that you know, to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's God's plan from the beginning. And again, Israel doesn't live up to it so Jesus comes and he's the perfect servant but now on this side of the cross you and I get to be the family of God playing our part in bearing witness to the gospel to our neighbors and to the world. How's the best way we can bless others? Yes, we have a food pantry. Yes, we go shopping for our neighbors during these times. Yes, we pick up medicine for them. But what's the best thing we could possibly do for someone we love? It's to tell them about the goodness and grace and truth of God Almighty through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
You may hear that and think, ah, that's just like preacher talk. That's something preachers do. No, it's something every follower of Christ does. How can I bear witness to the grace and truth of God? It's not because of my seminary training or degrees or experience or practice. It's because the same power that was in the disciples that's in you is in me. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, the risen Christ says to his disciples, he says, stay in the city that, that you're in until you're clothed with power from on high. I think that's one of the most beautiful promises in all of scripture, that we might be clothed in power, not of our own, but from heaven itself. When people come to faith in the book of Acts, is it because the amazing disciples? No, it's because God does it through the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter two, after Peter gives that that sermon, maybe that sermon wasn't that great. You know, 3,000 people joined. Was it because of Peter? No. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If we're going to see a mighty movement of, of people coming to the Lord, it won't be because of technology or because of preachers. It'll be because God does it. You need to pray for revival. God's going to continue to do amazing things in our lives, both as individuals and corporately as Woodmont Baptist Church and beyond. If you're bored, I know a lot of us are bored in these days of quarantine and sheltering in place, there's a remedy. Get off the bench today. That doesn't mean you go out necessarily, but how can you bear witness, even in quarantine, to the grace and truth that we've seen with our own eyes in Jesus Christ? How can we bear witness in our city and in the world? Let's remember that the power that enables us to do it is a heavenly clothing that we're already wearing. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the power that we have in you, the spirit that enables us to bear witness to the world of your amazing, perfect, good news. God, we've received great news. In, in a world like ours, we need that good, good news. We have a message to tell. Let us be excited about bearing witness to that news. May we, with our lives and with our words and actions and everything else, social media, our emails, may we bear witness faithfully to the world of who you are and what you've done. God, we pray that you would use Woodmont Baptist Church that would use every single person who's watching this today who feels like life has become boring or dull, that you would get us off the bench and into the game and use us to be your hands and feet. We pray this in the powerful name of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing one more song. Uh, and I pray that whatever you're experiencing right now, if you're feeling like you're ready to get off the bench and into the game, I encourage you to call uh, 615-297-5303. Talk to one of our staff who's ready to answer phones right now. If you are, are wanting to join a church, you can do that even today online. You can contact us, email us. We're going to have lunch on Wednesday. I invite you to join us on a Zoom call. Just send an email to L-I-L-C, Lil-C at woodmontbaptist.com. Uh, we want to, to get to know you and see how we can meet needs, uh, even in these strange times of quarantine. Uh, I pray that you've had an encounter today with the living God through worship and the word. 
And now as we sing, I pray that your heart would just be lifted to the Lord, that you would make whatever commitment it is that you need to make to the Lord today. Let's sing how deep the Father's love for us, because it's true, God's love for us is inexhaustibly deep. Let's sing this together.